This is the Millennial Millionaire Through Real Estate podcast. First of all, I had to uh, crush my limiting belief that uh, I can go outside of my backyard, right? So I think I was able to crush that through education. You're listening to the Millennial Millionaire Through Real Estate podcast, where we discuss tangible tips, tricks, and best practices for becoming financially free. The show is designed for people who want to either start real estate investing or for those who want to scale their real estate business. What's up, guys? I'm your host, Jonathan Farber. I hope you guys are well and healthy. For any first-time listeners, thank you guys for being here. I really appreciate it. The goal of this show is to explore ways to become financially free through real estate or to increase passive cash flow through real estate. A little bit about myself. I work in corporate America at a software company and my side hustle is real estate. I currently own eight units, a mix of small multifamily and short-term rentals, aka Airbnb. I've house hacked, bird, flipped, and as mentioned, short-term rentals to name a few strategies. I love to network, so hit me up on any platform, Facebook, LinkedIn, Bigger Pockets, Instagram, or just search Jonathan Farber Real Estate and you should find me. Also, if you are not already in the exclusive Facebook group, this is where I post most and do a lot of behind the scenes content of sharing deals, strategies, and systems. See you there. Let's get to today's show sponsor. After building my own portfolio, speaking with over 100 investors on this podcast and many more from the Facebook group, I've noticed a few common themes of why people don't get started or remain successful in real estate. They don't have the right team, they aren't sure of their market, or they don't know where to find deals. The people at Martel Turnkey are fixing this. That's why they offer fully turnkey properties in markets where the numbers actually make sense. What does this mean? It means they buy properties at a discount, fix them up, put a tenant in place, and oh yeah, give you options for property management or financing. They have people on the ground in cities where you can still cash flow and see appreciation every single month. I'll say it as simply as this. When you have the right team and systems in place, there's no reason not to get started. If you like a property or have any questions, you can schedule a phone call by clicking on the link below or going on their website and clicking on the contact tab to set up a call. There is no hard sell, push, or commitment needed. The call will be there to answer any questions you have or to see if or how their products might be a good fit for you and what you're looking for. So visit martelturnkey.com and click contact or send an email to info at martelturnkey.com today. What is up, guys? We got an awesome episode today with friend and fellow New York investor, Yosef Lee. Yosef is a full-time New York City lawyer with a side hustle syndication business, which is such an interesting concept. He just closed on his first, actually technically joint venture deal, but it was still um, what I think a lot of you guys would consider syndicating or raising capital, bringing people together, pulling money to buy a bigger asset and do a business model of turning it around, raising rents, refinancing, and doing it again. It was a great episode. So the main learning I had from this was how he did this while working a full-time job as a lawyer. Like I know a lot of people struggle with time management or they say they don't have time, they don't have money, they don't have a deal in their city or state. This deal was in Kansas. So basically we just go through start to finish how he organized this deal, the challenges, who he brought in to do what, who he found as a mentor, all the things that I think people could put together for themselves in one episode of if they want to get involved with this. Now, he talks about how a mentor was so important to him and having a mastermind is important to him. Uh, again, he's not pitching it, but he's a big advocate of getting around the right people that can help you be better. And then 
end up being partners on the deals that you want to do if they're all kind of talking and thinking and, and looking at the same stuff. So really interesting, really helpful. Uh, that was today's main learning. The tangible tip for this episode has to do with virtual assistants. If you are hiring someone on Upwork, I've talked about this on the show before. If you put the word, uh, a specific word in the description that you then use, like say, put this in a subject line. And then when they email you, you set up a rule for that word. So it gets sorted into a folder. It does two things. One, it checks their attention to detail to see if they are actually able to follow instructions. Because a lot of these posts that go on Upwork just go into these queues of hundreds of people that see them. And then they just literally click a button and it sends back. But by putting a word in the subject line, in the you put it in the bio, and then basically they read it and they know to put that in the subject line when they reach out. It tells me or tells anyone that's looking that this person can follow directions and they actually do more than just click on the link to apply. The second thing is it doesn't flood your inbox with hundreds of replies that often happen from common posts that you don't want all these in your main inbox. You can just check it at the end of your day or end of your week, just based on a folder file system or like a, um, a rule system so that you know that they're going in there, they're not going to be clogging up your inbox. And then when you have time, you can sort through them in an appropriate way. So that's how I do most of my hiring, or at least the front end. If I have a quick thing that I just need to post on, and then we do interviewing after that, but that's the best way to just start filling the funnel and making sure that they can follow detail, follow instructions, and it's not jamming up your inbox. So without any further ado, Yosef Lee. All right, Yosef, what is going on, man? Welcome to the podcast. Thank you so much for being here. Thank you very much, Jonathan, for, for uh, inviting me here. I'm very excited. Yeah, man. And uh, thinking about how we first got connected, I'd at least like to know that and remember it before we hit record. Um, through such a funny story, I'm sure we'll get into networking a little later in the show, but I think, as you mentioned, it was through Yona Weiss's webinar that my brother actually met you on. And then you said that you guys talked and then basically we got connected through that, right? Yeah. A little, a little twist there is actually, I was not there. So your brother, uh, somebody told your brother, Hey, you got to connect with this guy, Yosef. And that's how he texted me. And I started talking to him. And then when he mentions, oh, by the way, my brother is also doing real estate. He's leading this big group. And who is, name, uh, who is he? He said, Jonathan Farber. And I showed him uh, your picture because like, I screenshot it. And I showed, is this him? And he's like, yeah. Oh, I'm really in his group. Because <laughs> I was already invited to your group by Bailey, uh, another member. So. All right. Uh, I love like, it. We're gonna, we'll talk oh, about it. I want to like dig into networking. I think that's going to be just such an important topic. And like, especially now with social media. But uh, Yosef, just for those that haven't been on your meetup or haven't been on social media, checking our circles out lately, you mind just giving a quick background on how you got into all of this, this world of real estate, and then also bring us up to speed on where the real estate business is today. Oh, sure. Um, so I'm, I'm a lawyer from New York City. Uh, just just like everyone, all this, because I worked uh, full-time while I was going to law school. So and I, I pretty had a tough uh, law school years. And after all these sleepless nights in 2013, I became a lawyer, right? I took the bar, I passed it. Um, I, I thought this is like a, finally the, the door opening to a financial freedom, right? Because <laughs> I wanted to be like cool, wealthy, young professional <laughs> lawyer, right? But fast forward to 2018, you know, I, I was still hustling, working hours and hours and nowhere close to rich make some money, but, you know, would spend all of them just by living expenses and paying bills and it's just going out. Um, again, don't get me wrong. I love my job. And, but each day I realize it's just 
it's harder and harder to become financially uh, free, right? Mm. And I was short on time to spend with my daughters and family, and I was just getting fed up with the reality. Um, one day, I, I read a book. It's like classic book that everyone knows. Robert Kiyosaki's um, well, "Rich Dad and Poor Dad," right? Mm-hmm. And I realized I am trapped in a rat race as a W two employee, regardless of how much money you make. And I, I realized for the first time that the three or four months out of the entire year that you're gonna essentially working for free for the government because you gotta pay tax, what like 35, 40% almost in New York. And you know, I, I, I told myself, I, I can't do this anymore, right? I gotta do something. So that's when I seriously thought about being either business owner or investors to build up uh, passive income streams with tax benefits to achieve the freedom of time and financial freedom. Um, so that's when I started uh, vetting uh, some the investment vehicles like stocks and bonds, and I did some reads, I did some mutual funds, etc., and ended up lending on multifamily. The the whole benefits that multifamily investing offers are no brainer not to take it, uh, especially the controlling of uh, being able to control the the valuation of the property side. So. Fast forward, I joined, I, I did self-education, I joined the mastermind groups and um, you know, my Jake and Gino family, um, MIH mastermind family, um, and just start networking, massive action taking, underwriting, and within nine months that I serious, seriously took the step of being a multifamily investor, last December 2020, I closed my first multifamily deal which is 44 unit apartment complex uh, with my partners, obviously, um, in uh, Lawrence, Kansas. So mm-hmm. that is, uh, is a huge win for myself. Because that, yeah, is that first deal. I mean, I, I hear about the law of first deal. You probably know. Michael Blank, like, yeah. It, yeah, Michael Blank. It is that first deal that you need to do. Once you do it, the door opens up. And that's what happens to me. After mm-hmm. that first deal, I, I get a lot more deal flow. You know, a lot of people take me seriously and I get to uh, talk about my experiences on a podcast like this. And, and, you know, I met a lot more people now. Yeah, uh, totally. So I'm very, very happy for that. So a lot of people might be listening to this and wonder which asset class to get into. They're not sure if they want to do single families, multifamilies, storage units, mobile home parks. They all seem to have pros and cons benefits. So how did you think about the decision at the beginning when you were in the base education path and weren't sure which route to go or which investment type to go? Okay. Well, initially I thought about um, duplex or triplex, uh, smaller multifamily or even mixed units like a first floor, a retail store, second and third of um, apartments, right? But uh, the more I study about the deals, I don't know. I just happened to stumble upon multifamily by listening to podcasts. Initially, I didn't know about this. It was just listening to the podcast of just flipping and all the multifamily, uh, smaller ones. And then I stumbled upon uh, Michael Blanks and Grant Cardone. And it just just captured me, right? The the benefits of the multifamily, it, it was just so greater than single family or duplexes. And don't get me wrong, you could have like great, uh, passive income uh, from that asset class. Mobile home park is great. Storage is great. 
maybe I could divvy it up later on my attention to those essay classes, but now it's just multifamily and uh, it, it's just so makes sense to do multifamily myself. It's basic human need is you know, food, clothing, and, and home, right? That's those three basic human needs. So I, I prefer apartment over retail stores because it was proved throughout the pandemic, people uh, will not make payment for the retail leases, right? But still they were able to cover um, their basic, um, the home uh, rental payments throughout my experience. Uh, my apartment was over 90% uh, economically occupied, mm -hmm. never went down. So it proved a strong uh, demand is there. And I guess demographic shifting, you know, a lot of baby boomers are downsizing from house and millennials are not buying big houses. They want to stay with the apartments, with amenities, um, convenient. That's, and, you know, cash flow, mm -hmm. monthly and quarterly checks, and it's just coming in. And um, especially in New York, uh, it, a market like this is called appreciation market. You buy it and basically you flip and make money. So you can't really think of cash flowing here. Um, but so when I when I uh, found out about this concept of monthly cash flow, I was just astonished. So yeah, it's not really something that you hear too often about in New York, where I talk about this a lot in the group or other podcasts. Is that New York is just not a cash flow market; it's an appreciation market. You would probably be worth more in five years or 10 years just based on pure appreciation. But for most people, they don't want just to see numbers on a screen. They want to see cash flow every month. They want to see their checks in the mail or money that they collect. So it's a little different. Um, exactly. Digging into your actual deals and structures, again, root cause of getting started a Michael Blank's deal one. For anyone who doesn't know what that means, um, it's just a rule that Michael Blank has. He's a big syndicator, runs a coaching program now that everything changes after you do your first deal. So get into your first deal almost like with whatever means or however you can just do it and it will get easier from there. So uh, before we get into the deal though, I want to ask, you said you joined a mastermind. Um, a lot of people in the group are skeptical of masterminds. A lot of people are skeptical of gurus. And I think for good reason, they get a bad reputation in a lot of cases. Um, but there is a tremendous value in the good ones and they can really change people's lives. So what did you join a mastermind for and how did you pick the one you did? So, um, well, initially I started as probably other people, uh, sanely that you don't really need a coach or mentors because there are a lot of free resources out there, right? You could just go to easily bigger pockets or YouTube and podcast. There, there's so much free sources out there where you, you can't even listen to all of them. Right. So I started doing self-education. And uh, probably a couple of months, I was just just studying and listening podcasts and asking a lot of questions. But I realized education, self-education or studying itself is not taking an action. I think it's more passively absorbing information and just processing it. So I realized, okay, I'm not really taking an action. What should I do? So that's when I seriously thought about joining a mastermind group or coaching sessions. So I you know, looked into Michael Blanks and other Joe Bellis or Vinnie Chopra. Um, and finally, I, I started listening to Jake and Gino. And the story actually resonated the most with me. The two uh, like middle-class guys from New York, 
um, went to Tennessee looking for financial freedom and built up their empire there. And now uh, giving back to people uh, what they learned and the values, right? So it, it was just so relatable. So I chose Jake and Gino and uh, I spoke to their representative, Jake Gino himself. And again, I loved him and the way he presented uh, his visions and the values. Yeah, and, and I was sold. Mm-hmm. Okay, and we'll get into more again. I think we're gonna have that as like a little later in the show, especially because networking, I think is an underrated part of these groups and these masterminds that people don't typically talk about. They talk about the education and what you're gonna learn and, and not so much the partners and the people you're gonna meet that these communities develop, which is most of the times, like I think the, the bigger, more impactful thing. So I'd love to talk about your first deal. I think it's gonna be a good segue also with overlap of networking from the group. Um, you live in New York. A lot of our listeners are in coastal markets. They're either in expensive cities or markets that for most people are cost prohibitive to get started in. So your first deal was not in New York. It was pretty far from New York. I'd love to just dig into that first deal. Um, kind of just like the main pillars of it, how you found it, how you right. financed it, who you partnered with, what the business model was, and what gave you the confidence to feel comfortable doing it out of state. Okay. The first of all, I had to uh, crush my limiting belief that uh, I can go outside of my backyard, right? So I think I was able to crush that through education. I was trying to buy something and I realized myself going further away from New York City anyway, although I was trying to stay in New Jersey, Connecticut, or maybe further Pennsylvania because of the price. And at one point I told myself, well, it's not like, okay, let's say I buy something in New Jersey or Connecticut. It's not like I'm gonna go there every day. I'm gonna have to find somebody there to look after the property, right? Then why don't I do it in a place where the numbers make the most sense? That, that was the realization. And from that moment on, I felt more comfortable looking into a lot further. It's like Tennessee, I looked into, uh, you know, Texas area, Georgia and uh, Kansas, Missouri. So that's, that's one limiting belief I was able to crush. And secondly, now, okay, the logical conclusion is, again, I'm not there. So what do I do? What should I do? I got to find someone who's trustworthy uh, that can look after my property and we partner up and to look after that. Um, so that's the next thing I did. I tried to look for partners and get connected to a lot of people um, and started looking for uh, partners. Um, and this happened uh, after I joined the Jake and Gino uh, group where I had a lot of networking events uh, virtually because it was a pandemic right after I joined the pandemic uh, started uh, pretty much. So I was only able to do virtually but then because I was in a Jake and Gino community and I was able to trust them, right? So here, here's a little bit of a thing about uh, joining mastermind or a mentorship program. Some people say, well, rather than putting some money down for, that, for joining that group, why don't you use it for your down payment, right? I get that point. But my thing is, my mindset is this, uh, spending money on education is not a cost, it's an investment. So if your philosophy is that you're looking at the, the, the money that you're putting down on education as a cost, you're, you're fundamentally different person from I am. Cause I think is an investment. 
And those people who are already as a member of Jake and Gino community are the ones who think they invested into the education. So these people are already filtered sort of so that I could tell they're more committed. They think they're, uh, the fee is as an investment, not a cost. Uh, and I could at least be able, I could at least tell these people share some of my philosophy too, investment philosophy. So the, or, uh, the networking organically happened and partnership was formed. And uh, I met great partners and I closed this deal with these people. So uh, just going one layer deeper, because one of the questions I have is what does it actually mean to do a 44 unit deal in syndication? But before we go to that, how did this deal organize as far as where did the money come from? Who does what? How did you find the deal? Who's going to manage the deal? What are like the key pillars? If you could just kind of give us those kind of overview points. Sure. Uh, so this 44 unit apartment is in Lawrence, Kansas, 1963 vintage. And it's comprised of all two bedrooms and one bath. What that means is I do not like studios or one bedrooms because the tenant basis will be more of single or young couple uh, who's looking for one bedroom or studio apartment. Um, but as opposed to that, two bedrooms, one bath are more sought by, you know, established family with kid. So they tend to stay longer. So mm -hmm. we like that uh, bedroom or structure uh, over the other studio or one bedroom. And structure-wise, this deal was not syndication. This was done through joint venture. So when, it, when we say joint venture, there's no passive investors. There's, everybody is active investor. Everybody has to take care of some sort of role um, based on uh, not going to get, not to go against SEC rules. So we have six partners here in this deal and everyone brought uh, some amount of money to use as a down payment and plus some rehab cost. And, uh, and based on the money came in, we, we divide up the ownership share or the membership share by creating the LLC. Mm -hmm. And did you say how you found this deal? Uh, and uh, this deal, actually one of the partners uh, from Kansas, uh, his friend knew this owner direct. So this was owner direct deal uh, off market. We didn't have to compete with anybody um, the owner was mom and pop motivated seller. Uh, I confirmed there, there and mom and pop owner when we requested lease documents. So we requested lease documents, other financials, and I was expecting to see PDF and Excel sheets. However, what came to us was like a box of documents, like a couple hundred pages. <laughs> they said, this is how they run. <laughs> so, all right, cool. Now we confirm that you're true mom and pop. And uh, my partner was just manually scanning all the documents for us. Wow. So I guess just a couple, a couple of things operationally. People, I think, wonder a lot of times who, how to choose their partners or who to partner with. So can you just roll through what the roles are of each of the partners, like their core responsibilities? Because I think a lot of times people understand the concept of hiring for their weaknesses, but they don't know what they don't know. So they can't bring in a partner to solve for something that they don't know they either don't like doing or they're not good at. And just an example of that, like for any listeners out there wondering, depending on your personality type, I didn't understand this for a long time, but I cannot stand underwriting deals. I just don't like the process. But I thought 
that it was something I just had to do and had to get good at when in fact you can either hire it out, you can partner with someone that does it, or right. there are other ways you can figure it out, but it just, you don't have to solely do it yourself. So I'm curious, Yosef, for you, what are the roles and responsibilities of each of the partners in the deal that you just did? Okay. So, um, well, underwriting wise, as you said, um, everyone does it. We do it together. Um, but uh, there's one partner whose main function is being a boots on the ground in Kansas. So he is the one who deals day-to-day -day basis with the property managers that we hired. He's the, the point person. And my role is more so um, the business strategy and talking to the lenders, uh, reviewing all the legal documents because um, I'm, I'm a lawyer, so I could, I could you know, make it easier for them to understand certain aspects of the contract negotiations and all that. So that's that's, that was mainly my role. And there's another uh, partner who was more experienced. So he has his own investor basis and he was to raise money if we needed to. But again, we were doing this joint venture. So his role was more of overseer of the entire process. So these three partners are uh, the main core members and we have other people come in and join in. Got it. Okay. Yeah. So what does it actually mean to do a 44 unit deal? And I ask that because I think you've probably seen me post about this in the Facebook group, but um, I think it's, there's, there's a healthy level of um, skepticism for the people that are just unit count kind of chess beaters. And um, I'll just outwardly say, like, I, I typically don't like that type of person just because I feel like it's, um, it's not giving the right message of what the business actually is, especially for people that are coming from the world of owning the entire asset themselves and almost being kind of dissuaded or maybe even, you know, made to seem that it's harder than it is. So can you just organize or explain what that actually means to do a 44 unit deal and what it's structured as? Um, I see the 43 unit apartment as not as just a property. I, I see it as a business system. What I mean by that is I am not managing the day-to-day -day operation of the property. Um, I, I will call it more of either single or duplex or small multifamily landlord, uh, duties or functions, right? But when it comes to a 44 unit apartment, this job is for a property manager. You, because you have more units and because you're collecting um, higher rents, now it justifies having a full-time property manager uh, for that property to take care of the property and deal with all the tenants so that you could free your hands. I mean, you will still manage the property, right? but right. you will manage the property manager so that you could create another set of this type of business again and again and again and duplicate it. Mm -hmm. So this is more like a franchise being duplicated over and over. The goal is not to own the entire thing yourself. I'm okay with owning 10% of the deal but, uh, and having 10 other buildings. Mm -hmm. It's a dilution of liability you have a lot less volatility for occupancy going lower. And uh, again, freedom of time is, is actually a big thing. So can you just walk through, I guess, what that means? Like, what is the structure of, if you could maybe walk through like the numbers of the deal, like how much it was purchased for, 
how much equity the general partners had to bring, how much money had to be raised. Again, these are just questions that I hear a lot that I feel people that are deciding if they want to get into this would love to know. Mm -hmm. Sure. Um, so I believe the entire purchase price was close, uh, close to, um, it's like a little less than $2 million. Okay. Right. And then we came up as six people, we came up about, uh, close to $600,000. Okay. Right. It was, it was about 30, uh, 30, close 35% of, uh, the entire purchase price. And we did 80% loan to cost. What it means by that is the lender will actually loan us the 80% of rehab cost as well, not only purchase price. So we were able to get that. And 4% of interest rate, 25 year amortization mm -hmm. and 18 month interest only yeah. with a front tax and insurance reserve. Um, and we didn't go through agency that on this one, this was community bank. Mm -hmm. And we were able to, like I said, 80% loan to cost, we were able to get um, the rehab reserve about $250,000 from the bank. Got it. Right. And did you, did someone from the six find that bank or did you guys go like, or through a referral, did you guys do a little bit of searching to find the lending for this type of deal? So we were um, actually contacting the lenders, but one of my partner who is local. And so it's, it's, it's important to have a local partner because he already had an established relationship. He actually went to school with, I think one of the vice president of the bank. Um, so we were able to get a good loan uh, from him. Mm -hmm. Okay. Got it. So is like for someone that's, that's considering doing this or, or in your perspective, right? Like, um, and, and they're thinking about is the first deal, the deal that's going to make me a lot of money is the first deal, the deal that's going to be experienced for me. Um, you know, you don't have to, whatever level of comfort you are going into it. But again, for people that are just trying to understand this and, and basically conceptualize if it's what they want to do, you know, how, what is the, the financial reward for doing a deal like this with six people, or is it more an experience reward that now you can be taken seriously and get more deals sent to you after you've done your first deal? Okay. Um, I think all of that, including, so a little bit of uh, more about this deal. We were, this deal, we were having a cash in cash return as walk-in. They want about 13%. Um, and we'll have 10-year IRR, about 20% average cash in cash. So what we're thinking is we're trying to rehab a little bit. It's, it's not heavy, heavy duty lifting or anything, but more cosmetic. And when we found this deal, this deal, the average rent was about $150 to $200 lower than compared to other apartments per unit. Mm -hmm. uh, and now we went in, we were, so there was one lease that's being renewed and we didn't do any job and we were able to raise $60 per unit. Um, and we just turned another unit, nothing heavy lifting again, just painting and uh, the car re-carpeting and all that. We were able to... Uh, bump up about $190, I think close to $200 for that unit. So we were able to test the market. People were willing to come in with that price. And what that means is huge because by raising that uh, amount of rent, we are actually raising uh, the value of the property. So maybe I should explain a little bit. 
as opposed to one family or two families where market decides the value of the property. The multifamily apartment that goes over five units, the evaluation is uh, pretty different. Um, it's not the market that decides the property, the value, the value of the property, but it's, it's how much money the property is generating and purely based on that. So if I give you a hypothetical situation of, let's say we were able to, in a couple of years, maybe a couple of years, we were able to raise, um, let's say $200 per year, right? Mm -hmm. per, uh, per month for 44 unit. That's $200 times 44 equals 8,800. And in a year, that's $105,600. And we consider this area as a cap rate. Um, and the valuation of property is done by net operating income divided by cap rate. And that's the property value. So net operating income, we just raised, just by purely raising the rent, we raised about $100,000 uh, net operating income, right, per year. And if I divide it by cap rate of about 8%, it's, it's 1.3 million. Equity just built up, forced, without doing anything. I mean, it's a hypothetical situation. I'm not saying we can raise $200 for each unit for in near future. But that's the concept of forcing the appreciation as opposed to natural appreciation, market appreciation. In that sense, what we could do is the equity built up. We could, we're actually, most of, uh, most of the multifamily apartment investors are thinking about refinancing and roll that money into the next deal. So we built up hypothetically million dollar um, equity there. Now let's say we're doing about 70% cash at refi. So we just pulled out $700,000, meaning we got our money back 100, over 100%. And it will be given to all the investors. And now we're, own, we're owning this property without putting any of our money. So the return, cash and cash return is infinite. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Again, this is very simplified version of cash out refining and rolling that into a uh, next deal, but it's possible. And not only theoretically, but practically and reality, it's possible. A lot of people are doing it in our deal. I just showed you the extreme, but our plan is in, in two years, cash out refi returning um, over 60% of our money back. Our cash and cash return will go up to 59% after two or three years if it goes well based on our projection. And I think it's still very doable. Mm -hmm. How did you, for, for someone out there that's wondering step-by-step, step, how do you calculate the comp rents based on what the unit could be based on how much you would have to put into the property to get the, the rent bumps that you're thinking about? This is something that I've had trouble calculating and thinking through. And I know a lot of other people in the group have as well like it's in theory, amazing to raise rents, but how do you know you can do it? Like what, what do you look at or what steps do you take to feel comfortable that you will be able to raise the rents as much as you would hope to? Okay. So first, the first thing first, you're going to have to see what other apartments are charging. So I usually use rentometer.com or apartment.com and go there and look at punching in, let's say, cause this property is two family uh, I mean, two bedroom and one uh, bathroom unit. So you punch in that criteria and then look mm -hmm. for the nearby apartments and just, just compare how much they're charging. So if the market charges about hundred or $50 more than um, what my seller is charging right now, 
you could you can think of it as indication as that you could probably rent bump have rent bump of fifty dollar hundred hundred dollar or so right and then you could find reonomy uh, or other types of uh, report which gives you more, in more detail uh, rent comparisons and you can compare the rents that's that's uh, the thing that you should do before buying this apartment because that's pretty critical um, to be able to see if you're going to be able to raise the rent or not. Mm -hmm. Okay. That's just very, just thorough walkthrough in a short period of time. So that's cool. Thank you. Um, what about property managers? So it's probably one of, if not the most important part of the management of the deal. Um, what was your process for interviewing property managers, vetting property managers, uh, or just knowing that whoever came along with this deal would be the one that you thought could execute the business plan of turning over the units and raising rents? Mm -hmm. So property managers, we're actually keeping uh, the original property manager that was there when, uh, when we contracted the property, right? We were thinking about having our own property managers, but we interviewed with them. We found them very nice and they actually knew all the tenants and tenants liked them. So we didn't find any reason to replace them. Uh, so for probably first year or two, we decided to keep them and see how things are going. And uh, it's part of my job to communicate with property managers as to, okay, each month what happens, they're gonna have to you know, send us the report. Um, and through the report, we'll see if there are any things that concerning us, if not, you know, we move on to the next month and you know, discuss and we're gonna have, and Joe, uh, my post underground partner is having like weekly, uh, just short course with them just to do like a pulse checkup. Mm -hmm. How do syndicators make money? So on this deal, you know, again, not to have to go through the, the tacticals, but like just for someone again, that's trying to understand how to make money in this business, is it typically made on the front end during the management portion or on the refi or on the sale? So um, again, this deal was not syndication or joint venture. So we didn't have that uh, old fees or management fees mm -hmm. uh, that's being charged. But if it goes to, as to the syndication, there are a couple of fees that might be charged. Usually there's an acquisition fee. This, happen, this happens up front. Uh, if 2%, 3%, I see 4%, meaning the sponsor group will charge that much of uh, money up front from uh, the moment that it gets closed, right? So it's an upfront fee for them. And then uh, yearly, there's a yearly management, asset management fee, maybe 2%, 3%. So that's an yearly fee each year. The sponsor group will charge of two, 3% of the gross, rental, uh, gross income from that property. But the first fee is, is two, 3% of the actual acquisition price, the purchase price. Right, mm -hmm. and then there will there can be a split. So usually the sponsor group, uh, because they put the deal together, vetted the deal together, and made it ready to be presented to the limited partners, uh, they suggest a split of the profit. Uh, for example, it could be twenty percent versus eighty percent, or seven, uh, thirty percent or seventy percent. Sponsor group gets either twenty, ten, or thirty percent of uh, of the profit um, from the rental uh, income. Right. Mm -hmm. um, but to give more money to the limited partner side, they usually have something called preferred return. Mm -hmm. So preferred return, uh, they could give 
6% or 7% PREP, 8% PREP, meaning even though we get 30 or 20% of the profit, the profit taking would not happen until the each year cash and cash return goes certain limits. Like that's, that's what the PREP return, uh, preferred return means. So if preferred return is 6% for passive investors, up to 6%, the sponsor group will not take any part of it. It will just purely the income for the limited partners. But if it goes over that 7%, 8% margin, the, the extra one or 2%, the sponsor group is entitled, entitled to take 20% or 30% based on the split that they agreed upon in the beginning. Got it. Okay, very thorough. Again, for someone that's trying to understand how to make money in this, you can look it up. I, I haven't found there's a ton of good stuff on there, but... I think it's just a topic people are interested just to know how do you actually make money in this? Is it something that could be a viable business? But that right. is just a clean, simple way to kind of explain it. Um, just one more thing is there, there could be an exit, exit charge. They, when they dispose the property, either cash or refi or, or uh, sales, they can also charge 2% or 3% or 1% of uh, fee. Got it. Actually, I'm glad you said that because it just reminded me of something. Can you just basically explain why you chose to do JV in this case, joint venture instead of syndication? Um, I think it's, it's purely based upon the amount of raise. This one only, we only needed to um, less than a million, right? Like $600,000. Mm -hmm. And just, just simply to me, it was doable to have uh, fewer people without any reporting responsibilities to the <laughs> passive investors. Uh, because once you have passive investors, you have to follow some rules SEC rules and you have to report um, regularly, consistently. Um, sometimes they, they wonder a lot of things and you got to answer the questions. So I think um, the convenience of being able to just free up ourselves from that responsibility uh, outweighed the amount of money that we should raise. Got it. Okay. That makes sense. Um, changing gears here a little bit, winding down. Can you just talk about how important networking is for you or what your networking practice uh, consists of? Um, so I think networking is, I, I guess it's one of the most important thing because unless you network, there's no partner that you're going to find, right? <laughs> it all starts from networking. Um, and I, myself, when the pandemic happened, you know, I, can't, I couldn't really travel to the boot camps or other types of in-person meetings, right? So I even created my own virtual meetup and you were one of the guests there recently. Um, and as you can see, networking is so important that you just constantly need to meet people, put yourself out there and get your message across to people, like who you are. Um, okay, I'm a newbie, multifamily investors. I don't have any unit under my belt, but I'm passionate about it. I wanna add value in any way I can. And this is me, who I am. So this, this constant messages that you send out to people out there, at one point you will see the traction that getting built up and people respond to that message and they connect with you and that's how you, you know, put, be able to get the naming as a real estate investor. Mm -hmm. And without doing it, like I said, no one's going to know you. 
and they don't have any reason why they need to partner with you. Right. So true. Any, any, uh, you mentioned a couple, but any other favorite tactics that if someone out there is listening and feels like they don't have a network or they don't know people, they weren't born with friends or family that are real estate investors that they could start doing today to start improving their network and meet more real estate investors. Mm -hmm. Well, I think it's even easier these days now, post pandemic area, because now social media is a whole lot bigger than before. I guess you're going to be spending a lot more time in social media and people are more serious about virtual meetups and virtual networking. Uh, so it's, it's a lot easier in a sense, but again, there's no choice. Like you, you gotta be active in a group, you know, not only just meetups in person, but, you know, go to the forums, biggerpockets.com, uh, join Facebook groups, um, local virtual meetups. Um, I mean, you can do it alone if you have all the resources and a great amount of luck, but you don't have that, right? Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. You got to make a partner. To make a partner, you got to network. Uh, it's, it's a must thing. There's no, no uh, one, or the, uh, one or the other way. Couldn't agree with that more. Um, something re related to networking, I think is an interesting scenario for people that still have W-2 jobs. Um, myself still having a W-2 job. A lot of people are investing on the side and they're also not sure what to tell their, their bosses. They're not sure what to tell the people they work with, their clients. They're also not sure if they should do it full-time or stay in the, the W-2. Uh, I posted about this a little earlier this week, but I'm curious, what do you tell your employer, your um, clients, your fellow lawyers? Um, and, you know, like, what are your aspirations with this? Um, I, I think that's the concern I, I shared as well in the beginning. Um, but I, I, in the end, I, I feel this way. If you're good at what you're doing in terms of your W2 job, you're responsible, you're not tardy, um, you get work done, and mm -hmm. you have a good relationship with your employer, they wouldn't care what you do after work. Right? Sure. They'll be more interested in it. But you're not you don't have any good relationship with your own boss or employer you're not working out you're you're not just doing your job and then they find out you're doing you're doing real estate or other investment well they're not going to take you any more seriously than you are uh, because okay he's not even be, he's not even capable of doing his own job why, why is he doing this multifamily or real estate right mm -hmm. so the point is I think the more you're passionate about real estate investing or multifamily, work harder, work harder for your boss, work harder for your employer and, you know, show the performance, good, do the good performance and show the result. And later show them aside at night or during weekend, you're doing this real estate investing. Mm -hmm. I bet they're going to be interested in it. They're going to yep. be probably interested in investing with you. 100%. I found the exact same experience. Wasn't, you know, it's a fine line and had a message that I feel like a lot of people struggle with, but it's amaz amazing how interested people are once they know what you're doing and they see that you're competent in your job, but also competent in this other thing you're doing that almost everyone, I would say, in business or has a W 2 has some curiosity level towards real estate. It's just an oh, yeah. itch that a lot of people want to scratch. So, I agree with that 100%. And if they're in a high income bracket, like a lot of software people, like the people I work with are, or lawyers or clients, 
it's funny how things work. And when they know what you're doing, they can easily be kind of moved into an awareness phase of it. So that's cool. Um, is there anything, Yosef, that you feel is important we haven't talked about or anything that's just top of mind for you? Uh, kind of just before we wind down, do contact information and maybe uh, plug the, the group you run as well. Mm. Well, if you're into multifamily, I want to emphasize this. Just try to fall in love with the process. I, I, I think is, is the key because, again, it's not a one-person team game. You got to find the partners. You got to be able to learn how to underwrite a deal. You got to be able to analyze the markets. There are a ton of things that you, you should be able to do. So what happens is even though you're passionate, wither is a way. It's an emotion, right? You're motivated, but at one point you feel like, oh, there is no light in my tunnel. So my thing was let's fall in love with the process, just the process of finding the deal, vetting the deal, networking, and, and then you will be able to bear the moment. And then in the end, you will be able to see the light. Does that make sense? I love it, man. It's great. Couldn't help but think of Gary V, man. It's about the process. You got to enjoy it, embrace it. And if you think it's going to be easy, you're going to quit. It's just got to gotta embrace it. So, uh, Yosef, this has been great, man. What's the best way for people to get in touch, can contact you, check out your webinar, check out your social media, all that stuff? So um, on on Facebook, I'm more active in Facebook and, and LinkedIn or uh, Instagram. You can you can type in Yosef your Brosef, <laughs> Yosef Y O S E F your Brosef B R O S E F. This was uh, this was a nickname given to me by one of my mentors, and a lot of people started calling me Brosef. Um, mm. So I made it that way. I changed everything uh, to correlate with that. And uh, I have a website called syndicro.com, S-Y-N-D-I-C-R-O.com. And uh, you will find me there too. Awesome. Joseph, thank you for coming on, man. This has been fun. It's going to be fun to see you do more deals in 21 and uh, grow your brand. Just seeing it the last year has been awesome. So look forward to seeing what it turns into, man. Thank you again and uh, all the best. Thank you very much, Jonathan, for having me here today. I was, I was having fun. It was, it was fun. I was a little nervous, but I had pretty much fun. And again, thank you for your time. And uh, let's crush 2021. Love it, man. Sounds good. Hey, you millennial millionaire. Are you looking for help getting to the next level in real estate? Are you looking for accountability and strategy to achieve your goals? If so, Jonathan is now taking on one-on-one -on -one students and opening a few spots in his private mastermind. It's affordable and welcome to everyone. If you had any questions or think you may need a boost, send Jonathan a message on Facebook or email at johnjfarber at outlook.com. 